You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. revealed to us many things. First of all, it revealed to us the deity of Jesus Christ. It revealed to us of who he really is, the Son of God. For the Jews, he's the Messiah. For us, he's the Christ. For everyone, he is the Son of the living God. John 11 revealed that to us. And it also revealed to us the depravity of the human heart. Just how wicked our heart is. John chapter 11 talks about faith, but also shows us man's nature for wickedness. The Pharisees were blinded by their hatred, but they were not innocent. They made a choice to kill Jesus. Today, Pastor Dave urges us to fight the battle of the mind and make the right choice to believe and follow Jesus. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 11 as he continues his message, The Final Straw. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? That's what Paul's coming against. And they're saying, let's kill him for the good of men. For the good of men. But it's a good proposal because he didn't say it on his own. He was high priest. He's prophesying here of what really is going to happen. Even though they're trying to rationalize their wickedness, I don't know about you. I told you, you guys are much more spiritual than I am. I don't know about you, but I always use, you try to rationalize when I do wrong. Well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> I always try to rationalize when I do wrong. A host of reasons as to why I acted the way I acted. Caiaphas rebuked the council and said, I got an idea. Let's kill him. But he was being used by God. This was God's plan. I told you a million times that Jesus on the cross was not plan B. It was plan A before the foundations of the world. It was the plan that was going to come effect. God was working it together for our good. God was working it for our good. We know that Jesus had to die for the people, not just the Jewish people. He had to die for all the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In 1 John 2, 2, it says this, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Propitiation is a big word that means atonement. It's an act of appeasing. Jesus' death on the cross appeased God's law. It fulfilled God's law. He appeased the requirement. So without a trial, without any evidence other than the fact that he raised someone from the dead, the council decides we're going to kill him. We're going to get him. Psalm 109, 4 and 5 says, they rewarded me evil for good. And this is what's happening to our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 53. 
in John 11. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Now, we've read time and time again how they wanted to kill him, how they wanted to get rid of him, but now the last straw has happened. Straw that broke the camel's back. We're going to lose our positions. We're going to lose our standing in the community. We're going to lose our paycheck. We're going to lose all these things because of this Jesus character. What are we going to do? Kill him. Logical. So this group that could never agree on anything finally agrees that they're going to put Jesus to death. Jesus must die. It's interesting to me that these religious leaders actually thought they were in charge. That's how blinded they were by the world. They actually thought that they were going to do something. Not thinking about the foreknowledge of God, the providential hand of God, who has already had this plan in motion. They soothed their conscience. I love that. They soothed their conscience by telling themselves, it's for the good of the nation. It's for the good of the nation. Again, how we justify our actions. We justify our sins to get what we want. We justify our sins to keep the status quo and to make us feel important. How we love to love to do that. But Jesus knew what was in our hearts. He knew what was in our hearts, and once again, it wasn't his time. Again, we're only days away. We're only days away from the crucifixion, but it wasn't his time. Read verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Jesus basically ends his public ministry. The next time he appears in public, we'll be riding on a donkey, coming into Jerusalem. The next time he appears in public is when they're all screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. But he continues to teach, and You're going to find out that even in the Gospel of John, through all the other Gospels, from the time that Jesus stops his public ministry to the time he goes in Jerusalem, there's a lot of teaching that goes on. A lot of heady material stuff. And even that last week of Jesus' life, many teachings are going on and many things are happening. Jesus wants now to fill the disciples with all the information because he knows his time has come and it's time for him to be arrested. He didn't withdraw out of fear. He didn't withdraw out of fear. He withdrew so that the Jews couldn't act hastily and spoil the plan. What was the plan? When was he supposed to die? Passover. He was supposed to die Passover. He was supposed to die Passover. So he goes away to a small town called Ephraim. But look at 55. Hmm. What's it say? And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And i got to say one thing about going up to Jerusalem. When you come out of the wilderness, in every direction, the ride up to Jerusalem is long. We were on this bus coming from Jericho, coming from the Dead Sea, which, by the way, is the lowest point in the entire earth. And Jericho is the lowest city in the entire earth. We did nothing but climb. The entire time going up to Jerusalem. Passover, when he said to go up to Jerusalem, it's pretty cool because we went up and up. Jerusalem was one of three feasts that required all male Jews to be in Jerusalem. The Passover, excuse me. The Passover was one of three feasts that required all male Jews to be in Jerusalem. 
So they were going up to Jerusalem. They all were going there. And they wanted to purify themselves. They wanted to cleanse themselves to make sure that they were ready for the feast. And the crowd began to gather in Jerusalem for the feast. And while they're there, they're looking for him. Where is he? Is he coming? Where is he? Did they put a picture of him in the post office? Did they run around passing out pamphlets? Have you seen this guy? Give us a call. I mean, they look for him. Let's finish out. They sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given the command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. They wanted to get him. They had wanted to wait until Passover was over, but that was not the plan of God. Remember way back at the beginning of the Gospel of John? Way back at the beginning of the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist is out there, and this man comes walking towards them, and he sits and he points and goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's proclamation. On the week that we're coming into, no less than 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. No less than 250,000 animals were killed. But I'm going to tell you something. Number 250,001, that one was more perfect than all the other 250,000, all the other thousands and millions that had gone on before, that one lamb. The lamb who was slain, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the lamb of God, he is the one would come in there and he is the one that would die on Passover. He would be and is our Passover lamb. He is the one who did it. He is the perfect sacrifice and it is only by his blood, only and solely by his blood that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. The stage was set. The final straw had been broken. The council said Jesus must die. But God's plan, God's plan was now moving forward. And it was moving at great speed. Remember when we talked about the book of Revelation? Remember how we said that as we look at the book of Revelation, as you get to end times, how it seems to be like a snowball on a hill. You set it down there and it starts to roll and it picks up speed and gets bigger. Well, God's plan here is now starting to pick up speed. The time has now come. The time is there. The cross is no longer, no longer weeks, months away. It's only about a week away. We're coming to that last week of Jesus' life, that most important week. We've called it Holy Week. And there's a lot to be learned in that, and a lot happens. But before we get to that, which begins in chapter 12, let's revisit John 11 revealed to us many things. First of all, it revealed to us the deity of Jesus Christ. It revealed to us of who he really is, the Son of God. For the Jews, he's the Messiah. For us, he's the Christ. For everyone, he is the Son of the living God. John 11 revealed that to us. And it also revealed to us the depravity of the human heart. Just how wicked our heart is. How we can think we should kill somebody and that's good. How wicked our hearts are. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked, desperately wicked. Interesting. Luke tells a great story. 
about another man named Lazarus and a rich man. And you know the story. You've probably read it many times where the rich man had everything that he wanted during life, but Lazarus was a very, very poor man, and he used to sit at the rich man's gate, and the dogs would lick his sores. And he sat there, right? Well, they both died. They both died. And Lazarus, this poor man, ends up in Abraham's bosom, which is a holding place. He ends up in Abraham's bosom, snuggled up to Abraham on Abraham's lap. The rich man ends up in a place that Scripture calls Hades, all right? Ends up Sheol, Hades, Gehenna. He ends up in hell, let's face it. He ends up in this place, right? And he's kind of looking across, and there's this great big gulf in between, this great big space in between, but he can see. He sees Lazarus over there snuggled up in Abraham's bosom. You know, hey, Lazarus, I need something to cool my lips. Could you send over some water? No, he can't do it. He can't come across the gulf. It's too far. And then what does he say? He says, send somebody back. Send somebody back to tell my brothers about this so that they would know that this place exists and they would believe. What was his answer? Even if we sent someone back, they would not believe. They would not believe. Well, folks, in chapter 11, we see the one come back. Lazarus comes back. And they didn't believe. We also know that in about 10 days from this very thing, something miraculous happens at another tomb, at another tomb, where our beloved Savior Jesus Christ is resurrected. And he came back from the dead. And he showed himself to over 500 people, Scripture says. And they still don't believe. They still don't believe. Miracles certainly reveal the power of God. And we all love miracles. We would all love to see more in our lives. But miracles can't communicate the grace of God. Miracles don't communicate God's grace. John 11 emphasized faith. We said that. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it became the last straw. Now, I'm taking the last straw, which is usually a negative part, and I'm going to use it two ways. I'm going to use it as a positive point. It was the last straw for those who believed. They didn't need any more information. They didn't need any more proof of who Jesus was. Remember the last straw is that which, you know, is the occurrence? They didn't need any of that. They saw Lazarus. They went, wait a minute. Lazarus, he called. He's got to be the son of God. They believed. Their heart was quickened by the Holy Spirit, and they were believed. They believed. They saw the miracle. On the other hand, many saw the miracle but only could go to the religious men and complain about what they saw instead of giving glory to God. Once again, Lazarus is risen from the grave. Lazarus is risen from the dead. And I don't hear one Pharisee or anybody going, praise Jesus, praise, or praise God. Nobody's giving God glory. They only wanted to spread word against Jesus. This was their last straw. When the religious readers heard about the miracle, they too had reached the final straw. This was all the proof they needed. They didn't need any more. Too many people were going to Jesus. They were going to lose their spot. They were going to lose their everything, and they had to stop it. Oh, yeah, Rome was going to come in, but Rome was going to come in anyhow. They were already there. The response to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was predictable, and folks, it's still predictable today. Tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell people about Jesus Christ, and you'll end up with two responses. Somebody will believe, and most don't. 
You might even end up with somebody running to somebody to tell, to have you get in trouble because you're professing faith. Some will go into their own house of worship and be told, don't believe in this Jesus Christ, just believe in the doctrine of the church. They'll still be led astray by the religious leaders. Some people have fear of what Jesus will do. Sadly, many will have their eyes blinded by the God of this world, and they will believe the lie. But it doesn't mean that because their eyes are blinded, they are innocent. That's not an excuse. When you come to the judgment day, and God says, what did you do with my son? Oh, well, Satan blinded my eyes, and I didn't see. I ain't going to play, folks. That's not going to work. You're responsible for the choices you make. God has graciously given us free will, graciously given us a choice. We can make the choice. And once you make a choice, he respects the choice you make. I don't believe. Fine, I respect that. He might even continue to harden your heart as you don't believe. But condemnation has come into the world, according to John 3.19. Light has come into the world, and the men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. And though men love darkness and choose darkness, Satan then works in their hearts because of unbelief and blinds their eyes. Notice that it's the mind also. It's our mind also that is blinded and, and troubled, because where is the battle? Right here. The battle is in the mind. Of course, Satan works on our heart. He works on our emotions. But the main battlefield is the mind. We can't see a strategy of Satan working hard in a person's life and think less and learn less and use our minds less. The world wants you to use your mind less. It's a ploy of Satan. Hence, we all carry in our pocket these devices that give us all the information we want to know. We don't have to read anymore. I got a phone that tells me everything I want to know, even the Bible. They're making us mindless fools. The world is taking everything away from us. Case in point, pick somebody in your contact list, other than your spouse, and say their phone number. I can't. I can't. I can't. But you know what's wild? You know what's really wild? Emerson 57739, the very first phone number I ever had when I lived in Camden, New Jersey. How about that? But ask me Todd's number. Todd, who's one of my elders. I don't know his number. I got to go on my phone and look at it. To me, his number is Todd 2. I don't know his number. They're making us mindless. They're taking away our ability to think for ourselves. The world is doing that. Satan, the God of this world, is doing that so that we will become mindless and thoughtless and not thinking. Because it takes your mind to believe in Christ. You have to believe with your heart. Your mind tells you that's where the battlefield is. God chose a way to transmit the gospel, and he chose the written word to transmit the gospel message to us. And this is how God transfers this message to us. And this is how we learn it. Satan can only blind the mind of those who don't believe. Those who don't believe are the only ones that can have their mind blind. If you're tired of having your mind blinded by the God of your age, put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
Put your trust in him, declare him Lord, believe that God raised him on the third day and you will be saved. Satan will not be able to blind you anymore. He will not be able to blind you. So we will continue now on our way in the study of the Gospel of John. The stage has now been set for what one commentator clearly said, the greatest drama in all of history. And then he also says, during this drama, humanity will do its worst, but God will do his best. I love that. My question today as we finished, where do you stand? Where's your take in all this? Do you hail with many who believed? Are you one of those that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, believed upon him for salvation, declared him Lord, believed all the things that he says are true? Have you done that? Or are you one of the ones that are in unbelief? And because of your unbelief, you're blinded by the God of this age. Two choices. Or or maybe you're one of the ones sitting there, I can't wait to call this person. Maybe you're one of the little tattletales who want to go and call somebody. You hear what this guy's telling us? I want to report him to you right now. You need to do something about this guy. Folks, if that's you, stand in line. Choice is yours. The choice is yours. Be on the side of the believers. Be on the side of the unbelievers. You have a choice. I pray with all my heart, that if you are in unbelief right now and for some reason your eyes have been blinded by the God of this world, I pray that the blinders have been taken off at this moment, that the blinders have been removed and the Holy Spirit is quickening your heart right now to the truth of Jesus Christ. And you want to make that profession of faith. You want to say, yes, I believe. Yes, I accept that I know that I know that I know. I know the truth. And you want to be set free. You want that to happen. Maybe you've just been playing church all these years. Maybe you fooled me all these times with your vernacular. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Maybe you've said all the things that we think a Christian should say. But maybe you've never really settled it in your heart. Maybe you're struggling in so many ways because you haven't settled it in your heart. You're falling for the lie. You believe that which is not true. I challenge you today, my friends, my brothers and sisters, believe. Place your faith in, commit to, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on a cross. And be born again. And be born again. And you can accept the greatest gift that was ever given in this season of gift giving. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.